The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, sit down, sit down. So good to see everybody tonight. I love worshiping with you. And it's an honor to, to, to address you tonight. So uh, this week and next week, we're doing a little two-week mini-series, if you want to say that. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a little different than maybe what you're used to. Um, typically, there, there's great preaching here. If this is your first time, I'm sorry. You, you swing low from years in bad luck. You need to come back Sunday. He was talking about Sunday. Pastor was talking about Sunday. And he's not kidding. I believe, I get a little sneak peek this week. This Sunday, mark my words, will be something you talk about 10 years from now. This Sunday. I don't say that about every Sunday. This Sunday. You, I don't care what you're doing. You're going to Barbados, cancel Barbados. I don't really care what you're doing. You just be here, fill a seat, Sunday. It's going to be incredible. But there's great preaching here. You guys know that. Uh, we, we are, we, I don't know if you do know that, but if, if you've been coming here a long time, you may not know that. I've been out in the world. This is great preaching. And tonight, it's, it's not really... <laughs> preachy for me, it kind of feels more teachy for me, and I think you'll kind of get what I mean by that, but I'm really excited because I think this is something that all of us, including myself, can learn together. But before we dive in, I want to just kind of bring to your attention that everybody in the room knows what an American is. You know what an American is. You can define American. Everybody in the room knows what a Canadian is. Everybody knows uh, what a comedian is. You could define comedian if you needed to. Everybody knows what a longhorn is. Everybody knows what an Aggie is. Let's be honest, nobody really knows what an Aggie is. <laughs> what, about, what about this one? What about Christian? Well, I love the amen. I love that support. What is, what is that? What is a Christian? I bet if we got everybody to break up into groups of 10, and I said, okay, well, you 10 and you 10 and you 10 and you 10, let's get together and let's talk about what, is, what does that word Christian means. And I, I love that. It's a great name. It's in our name. But, but we might get five, six, seven, eight different answers with the term Christian. I mean, if you were to ask on the street, some stranger said, hey, are you a Christian? Some of you would respond emphatically, yes, <laughs> I'm a Christian. Some of you would say, yes, but. Some of you would say, no, but. Some of you would say, uh, what do you mean by that? You'd want some more clarification. Some of you would say, well, yes, but I don't associate with that particular group. Some of you would say, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I would say that I was a Christian, but somewhere around college, I stopped being a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian. And there are some of you that, that are in the room that were raised in a tradition where you would say, no, 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 that's not, that's not even possible. You can't, you can't be a was Christian. There's no such thing as a was Christian, because once a Christian, always a Christian, Yeah. You're a Christian. You can't be a was Christian. There'd be another group that would say, no, I was raised in a tradition that I would say, yeah, there's definitely a was Christian. I was a Christian. And then I did some things that I shouldn't have done, some pretty big sins, and I'm, I'm unchristian. I'm not a Christian anymore. Some of you can remember being maybe 16 years old, and you were a Christian, and then you went to an unchristian party or an environment, and you were driving home, and you just had all that guilt, 
and you're driving like five miles an hour because you have all this guilt and you think that God's going to strike you with lightning bolts on your Honda Civic and you're just like, just get me home, just get me home. And you get home and you're like, God, I want to be a Christian again. I'm back. Right? So you do that. Am I a Christian? Aren't I a Christian? Some of you, because of the way you were raised, is, is you, you became a Christian. You prayed a prayer and you became a Christian. For some of you, you prayed that prayer like a hundred times because you didn't know if it stuck the first. It's like taking Tylenol. I don't feel it. I, Lord, I want to be a Christian. It's not kicking in. I'm going to do it again. Like You just keep doing it, hoping that eventually you'll become a Christian. For some of you, you grew up believing that it's all about what you believe. Christian is what you believe. And then some of you would say, well, no, 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 it's how you behave. A Christian is how you behave. No, we were taught it's what you believe. No, we were taught it's how you behave. And what is it? Isn't that interesting? Here's this term that most of us would use. I mean, we go to Christian life, Austin. We go to this church, and, and, and we would associate ourselves with this term, but there's a lot of confusion around this term. And there would be some of you, if you're honest, that you would say, I, I hate Christians. In fact, there's a guy at work that I work with that I, I don't, his name's Christian. I don't like him because his name's Christian. Man, I don't like that I'm at Christian Life Austin. I just came because I'm getting free pluckers afterwards. Somebody promised to buy me dinner, right? What, there are people in, 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 in your circles of influence, maybe this is you, I don't know, where you say, I believe that Christians are, are judgmental, legalistic moralists who think they're better than everybody else, who think they're the only ones going to heaven, and they secretly relish in the fact that everybody else is going to hell. And you'd be like excited about it. And you, I don't believe that, but you know people that do think that way. And here I am going, I don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> so what do you do with all that? So you can understand when somebody says, are you a Christian? There's pause there because it's a complicated answer. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. In the Bible, 1,140 pages in mind. In the Bible, the word Christian is used, are you ready for this? Three times. That's it. And in some of your translations, depending upon, this is NIV, New International Version. Some of you may have King James Version or English Standard Version or whatever you are studying, but some of them have as little as two mentions of the word Christian. And in the Bible, every time the word Christian is used, it's always in a derogatory sense. So it's, a, it's somebody who's outside the people of Jesus and, and they're looking in at the people of Jesus and going, ugh, Christians. It's like, a derog- it's like we would say nerds or geeks or preppies or what. It was way worse, way more derogatory. But it was a word that they used to describe gross Christians. That's how it's used in the Bible. But you don't find the people of God ever referring to themselves as Christian. Not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus never, ever used the word Christian. You know what Jesus used most often? What word he used? Disciple. He said, I, I, want, I want disciples. I'm trying to build disciples. In fact, listen to this. In the Bible, not just three times, but in the Bible, 296 times disciple is mentioned. And just for comparison's sake, that's more than repentance, salvation, and baptism combined. So disciples in there a whole, whole lot 
And Jesus even said in Matthew 28, okay, he died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried. He rose again. And he went back to be with God. That's where he should be, seated at the right hand of God in heaven. But before he went back, he had all these men and women. He met with 500 people on earth. He says, hey, I'm back. I rose from the grave. And right before he went back to heaven, he met with his disciples. And in Matthew 28, 19, a lot of you know this. He says, hey, disciples, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go make more of you. Go make disciples. Jesus desires disciples. So what does that mean? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that means. But before we talk about what Jesus' definition is, just for giggles, let's look at what Merriam-Webster has to say. I don't know who Merriam-Webster is, but she's brilliant. She knows the definition of everything. But this is her definition. She says a disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. And I like that. Accepting the doctrines of another, in this case Jesus, or assisting in the spreading of the doctrines of another, in this case Jesus. But what does Jesus say? What is a disciple's DNA? And so that's our series we're going to jump into for, again, just two weeks. But Jesus said in the Bible six things. By the way, he said a lot of things about discipleship. But there were six, I would almost call them directives. Where he said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple, this should be true of you. So what are those things? Are you curious to know? I'm curious to know, to go, okay, what is it? If, if, if Jesus would say, this is what it means to follow me, this is what it means to be my disciple, I want to make sure I do and carry out those six things. So we're going to look at them over the next two weeks. The first three are found in the book of Luke. The last three are found in the Gospel of John. We'll look at John next week. We're going to look at the first three tonight. They're in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 14. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put it on the screen for you so you can follow along there. Luke chapter 14, it begins in verse 25. I love this. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, so people are coming from all over. And they're not driving there as you did tonight. They're walking there or riding on the backs of animals. Large crowds, they're hearing about this miraculous man. And they're coming in droves and they want to hear him teach. And he begins his sermon saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's the first statement. Which I like that, by the way. That's really funny to me. It's not funny to you, obviously, but it's really funny to me, and here's why it's funny to me. It's because as a communicator of the gospel, uh, I get really excited about teaching. Anytime I get a chance to teach or preach, I, I get excited about it, and so I, I want to I wanna, you know, work on it, and I, I erase things, and I add things, and I try to make it a little bit humorous, but I also want to make it informative where you learn, and you listen, and maybe you laugh a little bit, and Jesus, like, he doesn't do that. I don't teach like Jesus, and maybe that's where I need to grow personally. But Jesus doesn't come up and say, hey, thanks for coming. Bring a friend next week. He doesn't do that. He has a large crowd gathering. He opens his sermon saying, if you do not hate your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. That's funny to me. And then he's looking. I get to see him, like, looking over at his disciples, and they're all, they want this thing to grow, and they're like, everybody's leaving. Like, well, yeah, they say, <laughs> but Jesus, he didn't get excited about big crowds. I think we get excited about big crowds. He got skeptical. He's like, are you here for me? Or are you here for something I can do for you? He got skeptical. 
So we're going to come back to this statement. Hang on. I know you're like, what? I got to hate my mom? Hang on. Hang on. We'll come back. All right, verse 27. This is the second statement. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And this is not a, uh, an optional, hey, try harder here. Right? This kind of sounds like a, if you do not, you cannot. So how do I make that work? Let's keep going. He tells us an illustration, kind of makes some sense of this. Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He says it's kind of like this. If we were to tear this church down and start over from scratch, you would. You'd do some assessment. Well, how much is it going to cost to build something? Do we have that much money? What are the materials? Do we have the materials? Do we have the manpower? Do we have the time needed? Do we have the permit? Goes. You'd ask all those questions, right? You wouldn't get halfway up and then go, we're out of money. Like, because everybody would make fun of you. They'd be driving down Westgate. Those are a bunch of idiots, right? They, they would just make fun of us, right? He says, listen, listen, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to get into this relationship with me and get halfway in and go, oh, I didn't know it was going to cost me that. I, I'm out. He says, I'm telling you up front, what it's going to cost you. It might cost you your family, and it might cost you your life. He says, if you didn't get that illustration, I'll give you another one. Look at the next verse. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So if you're going to war... And you're outnumbered, you're gonna, you're gonna figure that out in your head. Do we have a fighting shot or are we walking into a death trap? Because if we're walking in and it's a it's already a lost battle, I'm gonna be waving that white flag. Hey, where's the commander? Here's some fruitcake. Peace, brother. Like I'm gonna figure out a I don't want to go to war with you. And he's saying, Listen, I want to tell you up front, this is a battle. This discipleship thing, and it might cost you your life. And then he says the third of our three discipleship statements for tonight, verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Whew. All right, now we're going to hit all three of those. Let's go back to the first one. This is verse 26. So Luke 14, 26. It should be just the next slide. Luke 14, 26. Jesus says, we'll get there eventually, I promise. Now go back, go, just go down. You can just go down to the next one. I've, I've got them put in there twice. Uh, so Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Again, this is a, it sounds like an imperative, doesn't it? It sounds like it's a command. It sounds like we have to do this. Isn't it like a, a list of things we need to try better. It, 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 if you do not, you cannot. That's what it sounds like. So what do we do with that? How do we wrestle with that? I had a, a friend of mine who was serving in the military in 29 Palms in California, and uh, he called me after reading this text. And he was a relatively new disciple at the time, and he called me. <laughs> he said, hey, uh, I just read Luke 14. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's good stuff, huh? And he goes, yeah, am I supposed to, like, call my mom and tell her I hate her or what? Like, I'm like, no, 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 don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Context is really, really important. Okay, I know some of you are going, what's the word that bothers us in that text? Hate, right? That's the one that bothers. We're going, hate, 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 hate father, mother, hate wife and children. Context is really important. Um, so think, think about it this way. Imagine for a second there's a stop sign. I'm going to throw a stop sign up there. Imagine for a second there's a stop sign. Now, it's a, ru- a red octagon with white letters, S-T-O-P. Now, dependent upon where you see that is how you're going to respond to that stop sign. If you're driving in your neighborhood, you get to a four-way intersection, and you see a red octagon with four white letters, S-T-O-P, what are you going to do? You're going to stop. You're going to look to your left, look to your right, look in front of you, and then proceed if everything is safe and clear. Now, if you were in an antique store and you saw the same stop sign with a little bit of age on it in the corner with a price tag, and you go over to it, what would you do? You'd stop, look to the left, look to the right, look at, no, you'd buy it, maybe, hang it up in your house, right? It's all about context. When my wife, my wife and I, uh, we've been together almost 19 years, and, and uh, when, uh, when, I, when I'm with her, I've learned, don't do this, but when we were first kind of dating, I would tickle her. And she's ticklish, and I'm ticklish, and it's just fun. And so I would tickle her, and, and it was fun at first. <laughs> and then she looked, stop! Right? You stop. You just stop. I'm just telling you, she will hurt you. And, um, but if, uh, you know, we're cuddled up in bed, and I get right up here, this is the sweet spot, and I, and I, and I just, hey, you're so beautiful. You are so beautiful. And she goes, Stop. I'm going to keep going, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Because you never know what's going to happen, okay? That one's for free. It's all about context. Same thing with Scripture. She's red as a beat right now. I love it. Same thing with Scripture. We got to look at the context. When, when, I, when I run across a text like Luke 14, 26, it's so difficult to go, okay, what do I, what I do with this? But sometimes if you have a difficult scripture, this is for any Bible interpretation. If you have a difficult passage, try to find other passages. And those other passages will help you to maybe understand the difficult passage. So let's do that with Luke 14, 27. Look, uh, 26. Look at Matthew 10, 37. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 10, 37. Okay, this is Jesus again, not me. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I like that a lot better, don't you? It's a lot more tolerable. It's not hate. It's if you love them more than. Okay, that helps me a little bit. And then I see this in Luke 6. Remind you, we just looked at Luke 14. This is eight chapters before that in Luke 6. Look at how this verse starts in verse 27. Love your, what? Enemies. What? Eight chapters later, you say hate my wife and children hate my mother and father. And here you're saying, love your enemies and not only love them, but do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Okay. So God really, this is Jesus, wouldn't say, love my enemies and hate my family. So maybe... Maybe he's not saying hate my family. Maybe he's trying to say something else. This is not on the screen, but just listen. Galatians 1.10 says it this way. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I just trying to please people? 
And if I'm still trying to please people, I do not belong to Christ. So Galatians 1.10 says that a little bit differently, but you're kind of getting the picture now, right? We put these Legos together, and now we can go back to Luke uh, 14.26 and make maybe a little bit more sense of this verse. You go, okay, cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And in Matthew 10, he says, well, just don't love them more than you love me. In Luke 6, you say, love your enemies. And in Galatians 1, you say, are you trying to please me or are you trying to please others? And so for me, it helps me to understand Luke 14, 26 and what God is trying to ask us to do as his disciples. And he's saying, listen, I want you to love me with the love that makes all your other closest relationships in life look like hate by comparison. The people will look at you and your wife and go, that doesn't look like love when I look at how, he, how much he loves or she loves her heavenly father. She's so in love with God. I'm going to keep it going with scripture, okay? In, in Matthew 22, verse 37, what does the Bible say? The greatest commandment is Jesus has asked that question. And what does he say? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And one of the gospel writers, with all your strength, they add that. I want all your love. I want this holistic kind of love. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. He's looking for a full commitment. He's looking for all your heart. He's looking for all your soul. He's looking for all your mind. He goes, I want you to love me so much so that every other relationship looks like hate in comparison. So how do you, how do you fill that out? What does that look like? I'll give you a quick, quick story. I have a friend named, uh, named Devin. And uh, she felt called. She's a young adult. She's 21, 22. This is years ago. And she felt called to go to Afghanistan to do mission work. Now, that's not a safe place then. I don't know how it is now, but it was not a safe place to go do mission work. And her father said, do not go. And she came to me and she said, Reed, I don't know what to do. Pastor Reed, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like God is telling me to do this. But my, my dad is telling me not to. I said, well, you honor your father. And she said, but then I'm dishonoring my heavenly father. I said, well, how do you know your heavenly father is asking you to do this? And she starts telling me these circumstantial things and, and her prayer life and her scripture life and other beliefs. Just a lot of things were folding in. I'm, I, I didn't say this to her, but I, I stood, sat back in my chair. I'm like, that sounds like God's telling you. Like it just, it, there was just so many things. It's like, this is pretty wild. And I said, Devin, Luke 14, 26. It's one of those things where it's not that she hates her dad, but she loves so much her heavenly dad. She says, I can't be disobedient to you to be obedient to you. I'm not, I'm not advocating, let's listen, I'm not dis, advocating dishonoring your father. I'm only advocating that when it dishonors your heavenly father and what he's calling you to do. And so she ended up going. She went and she, uh, she's fine. She came back. Her dad and her are great. She's got, she married with kids. But it was one of those moments where she had to make a tough choice and she said, I love God so much and my other closest relationships have to look like hate by comparison. You know, as a minister, uh, a lot of you don't, a lot of you think that we just come up here on Sundays. I know you think this because I've talked to you. And you think we come up here on Sundays and preach, and then the rest of the week we just, you know, play checkers. I don't know what you think we do. We have a lot of things that we do. <laughs> and there are many nights that we, we stay here really late and, and, and work, but there are some nights where I'll cancel a date. It doesn't happen very often, but I'll cancel a date or I come home late. And, and my wife is not resentful. She's not standing at the door going, where have you been? Because she understands... She understands this principle. 
that I'm serving the Lord, and it's not that I hate my husband, but I love Jesus. And I know that he doesn't hate me, but he loves Jesus, and this is where God would have him right now. And so I'm not going to be mad at him when he comes home. I'm going to honor him because I know he loves Jesus, and we're serving Jesus, and I'm serving him and serving Jesus by handling our boys till he gets home to help. That's what that's talking about, Luke 14, 26. Okay, that's the first one. Luke 14, 27. What do you do with this one? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, I've heard people say about this specific text, they'll say, well, I just got demoted at work, and that's my cross to bear. Or I just got diagnosed with a disease, and that's my cross to bear. And I'm not lightening your burdens. I'm just saying I don't think that's a right interpretation of the text, and here's why. When Jesus in Luke 14 is talking, he's talking to a real group of people. And if you put yourselves in the shoes of a first century hearer, when they heard, carry your cross, they didn't think about a cute little trinket that you put on the end of your necklace. They thought about a painful, excruciating instrument of torture. They'd seen crucifixions daily, weekly, monthly. They're seeing crucifixions all the time. And he's saying, pick up your cross and follow me or you cannot be my disciple. They're going, what? You want me to die with you? So what is Jesus asking us to do? To physically go die for him? Maybe not. So we go back. We start looking at the scriptures. Again, we use scripture to interpret scripture. Luke 9.23, Jesus says something very similar, but it's just slightly different. He says to his disciples, he's got them all together, he says, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, He adds that little word in there. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Well, how can I physically die every day? I can't physically die. I can only physically die one time. So if he's asking me to pick up my cross daily, maybe he's not talking about physically dying. Then I look at Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I wasn't crucified. I didn't get on a cross. But Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's starting to like, paint the picture a little bit better for Luke 14.27. You're going, okay, maybe it's not physically dying. Because he says in in Luke 9, that I'm supposed to die to myself every day. And then in Galatians, I'm crucified with him and he lives in me. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I'll put it on the screen for you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I. I love that. Did you catch that? I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I. I worked harder. Not I. But by the grace of God that was with me. It wasn't me doing it. It was God with me. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live. Christ lives in me. Right? Listen to this. This is Colossians 3, the first four verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. He's telling a church this. You died. And they're going, um, nope, I'm still here. He's not talking about physical death. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So is this making a little bit more sense to you now? You go, okay, I see all this painted together. And and it makes sense to me that maybe when he says in, in verse 27 that I need to pick up my cross and follow him or I cannot be his disciple, that every single day 
this is what I do still to this day. And I sometimes do it audibly and look like a fool, but it's okay. Most people are gone when I'm doing this, and it's just me and my bulldog. But I get up and I'll say, Reed, it's not about you today. It's not about you. It's not about your dreams. It's not about your goals. It's not about your ambitions. It's not about your will. It's about his goal. It's about his dreams. It's about his will. It's about his ambitions. Before I was formed in the womb, he knew me. Before I was born, he set me apart. Every day's been ordained for me and written in his book before one day came to be. He's got a plan for you, and it's a great plan to prosper you and not to harm you. He's got a great plan for you, and it's way better than any plan you could come up with on your own. So you just need to submit that to him and say, God, I give this plan to you. I give my dreams to you. I give my hopes to you. I give my desires and my heart to you because I know that you know me better than I know me, and you've got a great purpose for me. And so I'm going to die to me. I'm going to let you live in me, through me, to accomplish what you made me for. That's what he's talking about. Dying to self every day. Because look, I'm not going to say we because I don't know. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm a very selfish person. I'm very selfish. If I had my choice of what I would do tomorrow, it would be very selfish. I would take seven naps. I would watch Sports Center twice, the same one. I would, I just, I'm selfish. But God says, it's not about you, Reed. I got a plan for you. And it's a plan for you, for your good, and for my glory. Just hang with me. But I got I to gotta think. I cognizant. I've got to say, I'm dying to read. And I'm living for Jesus. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So the first one, did he mean to literally hate our family? No. We backed that up with a lot of text. And I would do more, but I'm out of time. The second one. Did he really mean that we're supposed to physically die? No. It's more of a spiritual death every single day. So on this one, is he saying that we need to give up everything we have? I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> probably not. Now, four chapters later, there's a rich man in Luke 18 who comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have reward in heaven. And this man gets really, really sad because he had great wealth. And I think he told that guy to sell everything because he knew that that guy's God was his money. He wasn't a disciple. He was a disciple of dollars. And he knew that that man was so attached to his money that if he didn't separate himself from his money, he would never truly follow Jesus. But I think most of the time, most of the time, and I'm not going to go through a bunch of scriptures. I can later if you'd like. But I think most of the time, He wouldn't ask us to give up everything that we have. And here's why I believe that. Because every single person in this room, including me, would be living in sin right now. So we have shirts on our backs. We have stuff in our pockets. We have shoes on our feet. Everybody has stuff. Everybody on the planet has stuff. And so would he ask us to give up everything we have? Because everybody on the planet would be living in sin. So what is he saying then? I think what he's saying here is you have to be willing to give up everything that you have. And if God says, I want you to give this guy this amount, I want you to give this amount to this church, I want you to give this amount to this nonprofit, you just say, yes, Lord. You just be obedient with that, whatever God is calling you to do. You, we drive around all the time, and there are people on the street corners all the time. You see them, and many times it's pretty easy to just drive by them. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you get that little, this one. What about the last seven I've seen? Nope, this one. 
And you fight it. You're like, I think that's the devil. That's not the devil. The devil will not tell you to give your money your way. It's, it's God. Hey, right here. Our senior pastor, this man does it better than anybody else. I, I've seen him. I get the privilege of getting to see him five days out of the week. And, and I just see him just do things. I'm like, what? And God just says something. And I'm, okay. That's what he, he just does it. I love that. This one. It's kind of like my son. It was sharing a moment ago. And, you know, nobody provoked him to say that. He just said, you know what? That was birthday money to have left. And I can't say that. I don't think he would come up here and say that was God. But I would. I think something struck his spirit because we're selfish people. That's how we're wired. That's how we're made. That's the flesh. And something within his little disciple heart said, I want to give it away. I'll tell you a real quick story. I'm going to invite um, Randy up and we'll close. But uh, several years ago, uh, we went to New Orleans and we were, it was in the summertime. And uh, New Orleans in the summer. Yes. Yes, it's bad. And, and we went, it was right after Katrina, and we went and we built houses during the day with Habitat for Humanity, and then, um, and then at night we went down to the French Quarter, there's a massive cathedral downtown, and we, we were right in front of the cathedral, and we were just kind of sharing the gospel with people who had lost their homes, and just kind of hearing their stories, and hopefully getting to share our stories. So we were down there, this is Monday, okay, we're there a full week, Monday to Friday, and there was a the kid on the, on the trip named Riley. Riley is just a fun guy, he's kind of, he's a bigger kid. And he's just got a big personality. If you knew Riley, he just, he's the life of the party, and he's fun, and he's just a, he's just a joy to be around. He's 15 years old when we went. And so Riley uh, is with us, and it's Monday. i got to make that clear. It's Monday, and we're going to be there till Friday. And so we're down there for about an hour, hour and a half, and Riley comes up to me as a leader of the group, and he said, hey, uh, I need to go back to the church. We were staying downtown a few blocks away at a church, and he said, I need to go back to the church and get something. And that's not like Riley to try to get out of this. He's very missional-minded. And I said, sure, bub. Like, take an adult with you, but that's fine. Go back. That's fine. Didn't ask. I just, whatever. So he leaves, and he comes back. I see him walking down the street, and he's got two, two roller bags of his stuff. He's got his stuff in these roller bags, like the luggage. He's got luggage, and he's just rolling it down the street. And I'm like, what is he doing? And he comes over, and because he's such a life of the party, he had a whole bunch of people that he was talking to, and he was making them laugh, and he was, and so, and he's telling them about Jesus. And so he gets down there, and he opens up his bags, and then he just starts throwing out his stuff to everybody. Like, every homeless person got something. He has shoes that are like size 16 shoes. He's like, here, hey, that's a boat. And he's throwing everything there were people that didn't get anything. He's like, here, have the luggage. And he's just giving them, they don't have anything. Here, have my, and like, that's your mom's luggage. That's like $300 luggage. And so he's giving all this stuff away. And, uh, and then he came over to me, and he was just smiling. Everybody's like, just, woo, you know. And I, I, I said, Riley, 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 man. I said, I, that, that was something. And I said, what, what made you do that? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I felt like. God told me I'm supposed to give it all away. And I said, that's awesome. Bub, it's Monday. We got four more days in New Orleans. He goes, I didn't think that through, did I? (laughs) You could have done that on Thursday. It would have been just fine. It's the same effect, right? So literally, we would go back to the church. And this is because we were walking in the day. And it was 
hot. This is hot all day. And so we're working, building houses, and we would come back. This is literally what we do. This is not appropriate. It's okay. But he'd lay down, and we'd put a sheet over him, and he would, he would just strip down, and we'd take his clothes, and we would wash them and dry them and then give them back to him. And that's what we did for four days because he had no other clothes to wear except the clothes that were on his body. And we got home. And I thought his mother, his mother's going to kill him because he gave away his luggage. And she just said, that's Riley. And I said in my head, that's Jesus. I mean, it's the heart of Jesus, right? When God says, give it, you just say, yes, Lord. All right. So that's it. Randy, come on up. You want to come up? Come on up. That's it. I'm done. That's it. I told you it's kind of teachy tonight. It's not real preachy, but hopefully you got this. Now, next week, this is what I'm excited about. Next week is the John, and the John is a little bit more of like things you can do, things you can work on. So th- I, I hope that after you get through next week and you hear the three things that Jesus says about discipleship in John that should be true of you, that maybe there's one, two, or even three that you would go, I need to work on that better if I'm really going to follow him better. But this is not really a list tonight. You can't just go home and start giving away. I guess you could give away your stuff. You can't, like, just go die better. But it's one of those things for us to just go, okay, Jesus, I really want to follow you. And if I am following you, if I am a disciple of you, I need to love you more than I love anybody else on this planet. I need to love you more than anything else on this planet. And I need to love you more than my life itself. And Jesus says that is what a disciple looks like. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good to just see you give us clear directives what it means to follow you. And we're going we're gonna to mess up. He loves you and me. It's a good key. You know, I said earlier that we're trying to please people we're trying to please God and there's going to be days where we're going to please people but I think the heart of what you're trying to teach us is it's a lifestyle it's a choice it's a it's an everyday making this a habit of saying I'm going to choose you I'm going to choose you above anybody else I don't want to please people I want to please God that I would choose you above anything else that if you ever asked me to give anything away my response would be yes Lord and I would give with a cheerful heart And I'd give my life itself, God. There are so many things that you have birthed in me, and some of them are my will and some are your will, and I just want you to eradicate anything that is of the flesh and allow me to be who you want me to be. God, you created me for a purpose, and I will find my complete and total joy and peace and comfort knowing that I'm step for step where you want me to be. And so help me to die to me. Every day, a choice to die daily. Die to me. Lord, help us live this. In Jesus' name.